Mickler. Welcome to the Homilist Podcast, my friend. What's up, Jared? Glad to be here, man. Been looking forward to it. So uh, finally making it happen. Yeah, this is cool. This is cool. Hey, I uh, I want to first tell you, um, thank you for uh, all the work you've done on putting this topic of masculinity back out in front um, of people, you know, I mean, getting this, getting this thing back out front, you have put in some serious legwork making this happen. And, and I hear the podcast and I hear you talk about this and I love the line <laughs> I heard in an interview the other day. So, so how did you find this Ryan? And you was like, no, 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 no. This is not about finding. I didn't stumble onto this thing. Like this was a thing that we had to, leverage and create um and begin to fabricate ourselves because it had, it had kind of gone dormant hadn't it yeah i, I don't like when people say fine because I, I get what they're saying but i think it's a it's a passive way of looking at it mm-hmm. right? a lot of people ask that like how do you find your passion we don't find it it's not like one day you're walking around and then you just happen to stumble over some rock and you look down and pick it up and it's the thing that you're meant to do right? it'd be right. nice if it worked out like that sure and i think there's a lot of people that think it do it does work out like that which is why they never uncover or articulate what it is they're supposed to be doing. I, mm-hmm. I take a much more active role in my life, whether it's my business, the mission that we're doing, my family life, my, my health, my finances, like this is a, this is an active thing. So you have to go out and uncover and discover and, and articulate and find out what's valuable and see what else is being offered and offer something that maybe isn't uh, being offered currently. I mean, there's other companies and organizations that were talking about what it meant to be a man before I came on the scene. Uh, but I saw some gaps and I stepped into that gap and here we are five years later with some amazing results. Yeah. 538 episodes of the podcast up. Is that right? I, I don't know, man. That's, that's so. probably pretty accurate. You, you sound like you know better than I, I do. Well, but, I had to, uh, I had yeah, to do, I a little, do a little research. 538. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's incredible. That. Yeah. We've interviewed, I think, 270 men now and then we we do some other shows as well so that's probably about right yeah you know what i just i just uploaded my 24th episode this morning and i was thinking i was thinking to myself 24 episodes jared like you banging them out good job buddy and then then i looked yours up and i was like 530 freaking (laughs) episodes freaking my first question mickler when do you sleep like this is is unbelievable this is unbelievable so not not only that one a week or what no, mine has been like, this has been this year of, let me just figure this thing out for just a minute. Like I'm okay. not, I'm yeah. not setting a, I'm not setting a goal on this. I just want to know, is this something that I can actually do? And let's just kind of plow through. So I set some very loose goals. Sure. You know, all right, so let's just try to get this out. Okay. Now let's try to build a website for it. Okay. So let's, mm-hmm. let's attempt some social media stuff, which just drives me batty. And I know it, I know it's a driving force in it, but yeah. Okay. Let's, let's do this. And so the fact that we've made it through a year, um, and I haven't burned out yet, or I haven't, I haven't, yeah. uh, I haven't gotten bored or distracted. Something to be said for that, for sure. Yeah, that's it. You know, I mean, that's just, it can really just wear on you if you're not careful, you know, it does. It weighs on you, man, especially when people look at what you're doing and, and you're under a bit of a microscope and, mm-hmm. and you're telling, you, you know, you're suggesting to other people what it means to be a man. And they're looking at what you're doing and saying, well, who are you to tell me that? Yeah, and they're exactly. they're actually right. Like I'm I'm not really that I'm not that wonderful, or I, I haven't placed myself on some pedestal I don't belong. And and I'm looking down at others, telling them what, what they should do. Most of the lessons I share are lessons I need to learn more than anybody else. Right. Well, I mean that's that's so true. I mean, it, you know, I preach weekly uh, at, at a church, and a few times a month, somebody comes up after church and they say, 
man, like that sermon really spoke to me, Jared. I'm like, listen, let me tell you where that sermon started. That sermon started with me getting beat up on it first, you Mm -hmm. know, like, because I'm not, not okay with, I think that's too easy. I think it's too easy to build a platform and then start barking about some stuff that you haven't nailed down in your own life, you know, unless, unless there's this other thing to where you can step in and go, I'm not there Mm -hmm. and I'm working on this. Do you want to go with me? Sure. But the yeah. minute you the minute you say something, Ryan, the minute you say this is the way this should be, man, here comes the crowd, huh? No doubt. I mean, that's they, part of the deal, though. That's, that's good, right. man. Yeah. If you're you, pissing people off, you're reaching some people, and and if somebody doesn't like you, that means somebody else is served by what you're doing. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with uh, taking it for the team every now and again, knowing that the work we're putting out there is helping men yeah. transform their lives. Uh, congratulations on the book too. It came out in 2018, right? Uh, yeah. About almost, I think I just saw a memory on Facebook, uh, that I, I, I want to say maybe it released either this week or next week, two years ago. So two year anniversary is coming up as well. And it's done well. Uh, it's done very well. Yeah. I didn't really have any expectations for the book. I, um, I, I just thought it'd be a good way for me to codify my thought process behind the systems I use to perform in my life. And some guys have latched onto it and it's worked for them. So it's yeah. pretty powerful. Well, endorsements from Steven Mansfield, Andy Frisella, yeah. Emerson. Yes. Uh, Mansfield's been on with me twice now. and uh, Such a solid guy. Yeah, Such a solid. Lee. One of my favorite, man. He's leading the charge too as well. He's, he's standing shoulder to shoulder with us with uh, reclaiming and restoring what it means to be a man. So yeah. he's... Uh, He's pretty amazing. Yeah, I uh, I messaged him this last week and I said, "Hey, I'm doing a uh, doing a series on masculinity, and I'm I'm kind of veering away from this this idea of let's talk about preaching, let's talk about the process, the creativity of it, the delivery. I want to move away from this for a minute and now let's deal with the preachers themselves. And some of the stuff that I'd emailed you, I emailed him just the same and said, mm-hmm. as preachers, men in general, but specifically preachers, the, this this demographic that I'm kind of I'm trying to reach, we get sedentary and reactive." And we become these spiritual specialists isolated into these steeple buildings. And then we exist only in there and all our other platforms. We just, we, we never show up. You right. Know? And that's, sure. a, that's such a common thing. Uh, and I asked him, I said, Hey, would you be willing to be a part of this? Absolutely love to Jared. Absolutely love to. I'd, I'd happily come back. And so, I mean, that's, that's just excellent. So guys like yeah. you guys like him, uh, my conversation with Sal Fricello, golly, just kick down the door. Like that guy came in and kicked down the door. It was yeah, so good. Was amazing. I just had, in fact, I just had a uh, conversation. Sal and I jumped on a call this morning. So yeah, another solid, solid individual. I mean, there's yeah. so many great people and the fact that we can connect with them through some, some mutual interest and desire to do good is a very powerful thing. Yeah. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for jumping on here and doing this. Of course. I want to, uh, I want to ask you a quick question just to, just to kind of set some of this off. What, what is it about order of man um, that struck such a chord um, with men and women uh, across the globe. Like, what was that thing? What? Why did that happen? Like, it happened. That's a good question. Because if I knew like the complete answer to that, we'd probably be able to magnify it even more than we have. Uh, I would say that probably the that society in general is craving this, right? When everybody zigs, if somebody else is zagging, that's the person that gets attention. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that society continues to move more and more towards dismissing masculinity and undermining it every turn and, and ridiculing and mocking what it means to be a man. And that's a luxury 
of the fact that great men have shown up throughout history and provided and afforded us these opportunities and freedoms and liberties that we have. So it's really fascinating when, when you, when you hear the, the, the irony of these individuals who complain about masculinity while they're the recipient or the, the beneficiary of that masculinity. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But you know, so we, so we stepped into the, the market, if you will, at the right time. And then I think we have a message that, that people already inherently know, but mm. it was kind of like whisper, like nobody was willing to say it. <laughs> Right, because if you say it, if you talk about it, then you're going to offend people. You're going to upset people. Other people are going to like you. You're, you're going to be exposing yourself to all sorts of ridicule and mockery, and that's never been an issue of mine. And I'm willing to put myself out there because uh, it is a message that needs to be heard. So, when you start putting a process and system around what it means to be a man, um, that's what guys want, right? Yeah. That's that's what we want. We know that we have potential within us. As young men, we look to other men, both negative and positive influences, but we're looking to other men for answers and guidance and direction. Unfortunately, too many boys find that in abusive relationships and unhealthy uh, mentors. But man, if we can step up in our communities and homes and families and businesses and mentor these young men and get them on the right path, what a powerful thing. So men want it. Women, they want to be with men. Yeah, I think women are tired of of, of, of looking at feminized men. Yeah. Like they, they, they want to be led. They want to be protected. They want to be provided for. They want to be afforded the opportunities to step into their femininity. And if these women are having to play the, the man and the woman, my mom had to do that. Yeah. Primarily she raised me and my sister on her own and she had to be not only the, the mom, but the father as well. She can't do that. Right. And that doesn't, that's not, that's not intended to speak ill of her. It's not sure, what that, sure. I mean by that at all. But a woman can't raise a man. Right. She can teach him how to be a good human being and character and all of these things, but there's nuances and, and hormones and experiences that she'll never understand. Just like a man will never understand some things that young ladies go through and, right. and they need a, a woman in their life to uh, turn into that woman that they have a desire to become. So yeah, I just feel like men want to be men and women are looking for men. And here we are providing the, the answers and the solutions to that, that conundrum. Yeah, Jordan Peterson. Uh, one of the things that he often says is that he that he hears after he after he does a lecture is people come up and they say, "You put into words everything I've been feeling and thinking for the last twenty years." You know, and it's very similar to what you said. You know, the people's response to it is, "Oh my goodness, you you actually said it. You freaking said that out loud, Mickler. Yeah. I don't know if you know. Yeah, you just said that out loud. Yeah. Like, do you know what's about to happen? Like, yeah. there's gonna." There's going to be somebody over on this side that's going to get really, really good. And there's going to be somebody on this side that's going to get really, really mad. And yeah. so fine work. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, I think uh, that's a pretty good indicator if somebody's upset that you've said something that's at least significant. Now, whether it's right or not, we can talk about that you know, another time. But it is significant. You've turned heads. Yeah. Right Now, I feel like we have a moral obligation to, to say what's right and what we actually believe rather than just spew a bunch of nonsense we don't really believe which there are people who do that just to get attention sure but man when you say something that is actually relevant and you mean it there's weight behind it people listen people yeah. pay attention for better or worse they pay attention i have a 16 year old daughter and uh, we sat down uh, two nights ago we were talking about her uh, she's got she's got two jobs that she works and and she was she was talking about uh, her schedule and how she didn't want to she didn't want her schedule to uh impose on the manager and she wasn't quite sure how many hours she was supposed to work or, or not work. And, and she's like, it just kind of causes me some anxiety. And I said, well, listen, is he going to step up? You just going to go and have to have the conversation, ask her 
You know, how many hours do you want me here? Can I set my own schedule? If I happen to go over what, what's going to happen, how many hours is the minimum that you want me here? Like mm-hmm. define everything. Like that has to be on you, you know? And she's like, okay, okay. And so her other job is she's doing some personal training stuff with a, with a little girl from the community who, you know, her mom and dad said, Hey, would you, would you be willing to work out with her and do this kind of thing? And yeah, absolutely. And so my, my daughter, she's fit. She works out. She, I mean, she's, she's in good shape and she does her stuff. And so she said, sure, I'll, I'll work out with her. And so they started having this conversation. And so I said, I said, listen, here's what you need to do. You need to get some goals for this girl. You need to get, take her measurements. I mean, set her up for success and put something in front of her to chase. And she's like, wow, mm-hmm. but I don't want to hurt feelings. You know, when you start doing that, you don't. And I said, baby, listen, um, which is better to be nice or to be honest, which is, mm. which is better. You want to be nice. You want to be honest because everybody will like you. If you be nice, um, if you're honest, there'll be people who trust you and who will follow you. You know, they and might not be, always be like impacted you. by what you do. Absolutely. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. Right. I actually had this conversation. We've got a, we've got an exclusive brotherhood. It's called the iron council. And I was talking with my team leaders in the iron council. And I said, you know, one thing, there's a lot of things, but one of the things that stands out to me as a leader is that a leader is always willing to have those crucial conversations. Mm. They're always willing to put themselves in the conversations that are awkward, that are uncomfortable, because they're so consumed with two things, propelling the mission forward and serving the people that they want to serve. And worrying about people's feelings or how it may be perceived or potentially hurting somebody's feelings or saving yourself the, the stress that comes with having difficult conversations is not going to help other individuals. Mm-hmm. The thing that's going to help other individuals is saying the things that they need to hear, not necessarily the things they want to hear. And I love the point that you made about trust. When you tell somebody the thing that they need to hear, it's not comfortable. It's not easy, but that individual trusts you now because they're surrounded by people who appease them and make them feel good. They're bobbleheads. They're yes, 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 men. Like that's what you get. But when you have somebody in your circle who's telling you the truth and the reality of the situation, that's somebody who's going to help you expand and grow. That's yeah. people you should surround yourself with, by the way. Yeah. And most people don't do it because they don't want to be pushed. Yeah. They yeah. like the yes men saying that they're wonderful. They don't want to hear how they're not wonderful and how they could shore themselves up. But that's what's yeah. going to help you grow. Well, there's a passage of scripture that says something along the lines of, uh, uh, a wound from a a wound from a trend a wound from a friend uh, a wound from a friend is a trust uh, or, or something about uh, uh, a friend who will wound you is a friend you know like this whole idea I can't remember exactly the right phrasing it's something a wound from a friend can be trusted something mm. something along those lines yeah. those are the people who ask you the hard questions and who will dive right into the middle of your life and will put that stuff out front this is where I lack. This is the problem. And, and that's, that's one of the things that I absolutely love about being involved in guys groups that, that can really dive deep into the thing before the thing. Okay, so this is my behavior. Okay, so what causes that? Well, this causes that. Stress, anxiety, shame, whatever it is. Okay, so what's before that? Okay, so I've got some insecurities that I haven't dealt with. Okay, so then what's before that? I've got some fear. Oh, okay. So let's talk a little bit about that. So where's that come from? You know, and I enjoy, I enjoy that, that kind of exchange and that dialogue. I mean, that just, that produces so much fruit, you know, in people's lives when you can begin to kind of track some of that, back it up and, you know, reverse engineer the whole thing and then go, okay, so this is where I need to start. If I get this thing done, I can move to the next thing. Right. I mean, cause aren't most of us just operating on the surface level, right? Yep. This is where we operate and this is where we live. <laughs> And then we look back in 30 years and wonder why we didn't accomplish anything meaningful. 
never uh, talked about anything meaningful. You never explored. You never went deep. You never tried anything that pushed you outside of your comfort zone. So yeah, yeah it's safe to assume that your life was pretty mediocre and kind of average. Right. Right. You did what everybody else was doing. Yeah. Man. Yeah. That's a good point. We just had a, uh, we just had a late night men's meeting, uh, last night. And I mean, it was, I mean, it was, it was just a good one. And this is, uh, so there's a couple of groups that meet. This is a, this is, this is another one. And so we put it together, started at seven. I think we all got home around 1230 and it was just some of those deep dives into, I think there's six or seven of us in the group, just the deep dives into like, so what's the thing that's holding you back? What's the one thing that's holding you back? You know, what are some of the, you know, the premise of our conversation that started, this is our second time to meet the very first week. I had this four by eight whiteboard and I started drawing some stuff on it, but I started with this one, this one statement up in the top left-hand corner. And it just says, um, we always lie to each other. Hmm. Like that's the arrangement that men have with other men on a, on a, on a surface level is we're going to agree to lie to each other. And, and it's funny because the group just kind of looked around like, no, I don't think that, I don't think we want to lie to each other. And I said, no, 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 that's the arrangement. That's the agreement. The agreement, like that's the starting point. So here's the thing. I'm not going to say to you, like I might step into your life and say, hey, how are, how are you and the missus getting along? And you might say, good. Right. But what's the better question? Have you guys been fighting lately? Hmm. How's your sex life? Have you guys had any arguments lately? How involved are you in the domestic part of the house and the relationship? Like start asking those questions. What are the deeper questions? Because once you get to know me or you get to know another guy, you begin to know here's the, here's the weakness, you know, here's the, here's the part of his armor. That's a little, that's a little soft. Here's the mm -hmm. gap in it somewhere. And so these are the questions that we ask. We always lie to each other. Don't we? And the group's like, we do always lie to each other. Like, yeah. we always. So when's the last time this happened in your life? Oh, no, I'm doing pretty good with it. No, 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 no. What was the day that this happened last? Hmm. You know, how much, how much are you? It's like, so are you still drinking? I don't drink like I used to drink. How much are you drinking? How much did you drink this last weekend? Give me a number. Like, I love you. I want you to do well. We always lie to each other. We're not going to lie to each other anymore. You're asking those kind of hard questions. It was, a cool, it, man. it was a cool dialogue. I mean, real yeah. good dialogue. Yeah. Well, I get, this just comes back to the level of people just being comfortable, mm -hmm. <clears throat> right? If you have to answer that question about your sex life or how you are in the domestic duties and, and what you're drinking and like, man, <laughs> guys don't want to have that conversation. No. I, the, the, about the wonderful things are. Yeah. The arrangement, the arrangement is good. Let's talk about the chiefs. All right. Let's talk yeah, about the exactly. weather. Let's exactly. talk about work. Let's talk about race cars. Let's keep all that other stuff off the table. You know? Right. Yeah, right. that's just yeah. That's great just, point. I like yeah. that. I like that you're doing that. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's really cool. Really cool. Well, I mean, you've led the charge and and opened up some conversations. I can't tell you how many guys that I've talked to who text me and they're like, "Hey, have you heard this episode? Have you heard this episode? Yeah, I've heard the episode. No, I haven't heard the episode. One of the great ones was when a guy, hey, initiate the boys or they'll burn the village. Right. You know like, that I um, that I got from Stephen Mansfield actually. Right. Right. Yeah. And 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 when that episode, when your episode on that came out, there were tons of people who were like, "Yo, what?" are we do are we initiating boys around yeah. here are we yeah. you know uh so Heaven was, forbid you talk about that though man <laughs> that's actually one of the coolest things we do we have a we have an event we, we we run events too but we have an event called the legacy where we have 20 dads with their boys come for three and a half days and we initiate their boys and that's the and the dads frankly because their dads never were initiated either. yeah 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 
So yeah, we initiate them into manhood and teach them some of the skills and lessons and resources they'll need as they transition from boy to young man and young man to man. It's, yeah. it's my most powerful event. I was, uh, I was at a basketball game the other night. You can, <laughs> you can appreciate this. I just shared this at church the other day. I was at a basketball game uh, the other day. And so, you know, we've got these guys groups and I sent you, I sent you some of the stuff that we do at our church yeah. and some of the, like the icons that we have down the, down the sides of the sanctuary and you know, sure. some, some brass knuckles. And, and so there's, there's a, there's a sense of, of, of strong masculinity inside of our church. And so one of the things we're trying to step this up a, a, a little higher. So what are some of the things we can do? You know, so, um, so we have men teaching Sunday school classes, you know, because growing up the church that I grew up in, I never remember having a female Sunday school teacher. I had men mm. Sunday school teachers. So when ministry became the thing, like, I, I wonder, maybe I want to go into ministry. Like there was, I never had the thing inside of me that was, that's such a weak job though. Like it's such a feminine job. Like that was not the thing. That was was not an issue for you. No, it wasn't, not at all. Like the church was full of strong men. I mean, tough guys, you know, I mean, from Sunday school, I mean, a guy named Bobby Pomeranke who was, you know, Buck Sergeant Bobby Pomeranke. And if we listened to the Bible story, he would tell us army stories. And then Mm. at the end of the class, he would give us little plastic army figurines, you know, the old school (laughs) ones, you know? Yeah, sure. That was where we grew up and and went to church, you know? So in our mind, like, like church is a, like church is a masculine thing. So we're talking to some guys and tell them, listen, when the little boys come walking by, I want you to introduce yourself to them. I want you to reach up and want you to squeeze their little arms and say, good gracious, look at the muscles on this guy. You know, <laughs> I mean, just get right down there with them. I mean, just right. have, just engage on these levels, you know? So anyway, I tell you that to say, I went to this basketball game and I come walking by and these two little boys in the hallway, just, I mean, they're up to no good and you can tell they're yeah. up to no good. And uh, I looked at, uh, I looked at them. I said, Hey, excuse me. Like, and they turned around, their eyes are big. They're like, yeah. <laughs> I said, uh, I need you two boys. I need you. There was three there. And the two of them spoke to me, but, but three of them. And I said, I need you boys to do me a favor. They said, okay. And I said, anywhere you go tonight, no matter where you are, I want you to run as fast as you can. Do you understand me? I said, and I want you to be a warrior all night long. Do you understand? One little boy looks at me and he goes, and this was such an old school response. When you hear it, it's such an old school response. And it, and it, it seemed to evoke something out of him because then one looks at me and he goes, yes, sir. And the other one hmm. goes, you got it, mister. Hmm. And they mean they jetted down the deal. And it was such a cool little exchange because in my yeah. mind, I'm thinking, as a little guy, when you're messing around in a back hallway, yeah, you and your friends, you're in trouble. Like you're about right. to get smoked. And then right. somebody said, hey. Keep up the good work. Run all of a sudden, it's like, dude, yeah, do it. Like, let's do this thing. Like, that guy's on our team. Like, we right. we got permission to just go right. run amok. Like, this is this is good. You know, uh, I I just I just I just absolutely I love love, love that love that encounter. Love that exchange with those guys. It was just really cool. It was really cool. So when you guys do an initiation with the boys uh, at the legacy events, um, I know you can't. Di- I know you can't go into all the personal parts of that. Uh, but can you can you give us? Uh, somewhat of a semblance of what that would look like? Yeah. I mean, my, my goal has always been to give not only the men that come to our events, but the boys as well, experiential learning, right? Like, so we're not going to be sitting around a conference center and a conference table and being mm-hmm. taught and lectured to, we're actually going to be outgoing and experiencing lessons. So uh, we, we do events. One of the things that we do is jujitsu, for example. And then we pair these boys up based on athleticism, size, that sort of thing. And we say, all right, we're going to teach you some basic jujitsu and now we're going to go on the mats and your job is to beat this other boy. And the thing about it is you have two things. And this alludes to the story you just told. You have permission 
mm. to be aggressive and violent, which you don't get that in modern society. And you can't run away. <laughs> and you need that. You need that because everybody else is going to tell you to run away and everybody else is going to give you an escape route and everybody else is going to excuse you not performing, but you don't get that. Oh, and by the way, you're also competing for your team. So not only are you representing yourself, you're representing the guys on your team. And then we put these boys, some of them have never had any sort of physical altercation. None of them have ever experienced any sort of aggression or physical violence or, or toughness or grit or resilience. And then you get them in there and you get them against, for example, a kid who maybe he's wrestled for the last five years or is already in jujitsu. And that kid who never has, has never had any experience gets his butt kicked. But you know what? You've never seen a boy stand up more proud, <laughs> even with <laughs> tears in his eyes, stand up because he knew he did it. Yeah. And these are the lessons that we teach. We do it through jujitsu. Uh, we do airsoft. We actually did this last one we did. Um, we did some underground caving where we let the boys uh, lead and figure out how to get us in and out of the cave. I mean, just some incredible, incredible experiences. And then we weave the lessons into the experiences, not the other way around. That's so cool. That's so cool. How uh, it seems like so much of this when we begin to talk about masculinity, the, like the first step in masculinity is we have to go back to the, we have to go back to boyhood. We have to go back to childhood for just a minute and begin yeah. to remember what were the things that drove us? What were the things that lit us up? You know, when time used to fly and not just drag on, you right. know, I heard a buddy say one day, I was asking him, so, so how's things going? What, what, what have you been up to? And he goes, ah, just passing time. Mm. And I was like, it's like sad. Golly, Pat. Yeah. Like, that's the goal. Like just looking at it, like right. just, just, just waiting for time to go. That's what I, that's what I hear when people say, oh, I can't wait for the weekend. I'm like, what about today, man? What about <laughs> right. the next three or four or five days of your life? Like you're just going to live those so you can live the weekend. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, my mom, she, so again, it was primarily her, but she had enough insight to know that I needed to be around other boys and men. Mm-hmm. But I remember she would lock the screen door. She'd kick us out of the house and lock the screen door. And we'd put up a stink, you know, mom, I need to pee or whatever. And she's like, go outside, just pee outside. You don't need to come in here to do that. So we'd go pee and we'd put up a stink for like 20 minutes. And then I remember we would, me and a buddy, I'd find a buddy, I'd ride to his house and we would get our GI Joes out and we would try to make little parachutes and we'd climb up on the roof. Mm-hmm. I don't know how we got up on the roof, but we did. And we would throw GI Joes off the roof with little parachutes yeah. and we would get into trouble. You know, we, we toilet papers, people's houses and whatever else. And then, uh, I would, I remember my mom would have to like yell through the neighborhood and call people's you know, other people and call their houses to see if I was there. And she'd have to like drag us back inside because <laughs> we just wanted to be outside and we wanted to be yeah. rolling around in the dirt and fighting. We'd have little fight clubs and we'd wrestle and we'd punch each other. And then we'd get up and hug and like, it was, but guys don't do that anymore. Right. Somebody you're probably really familiar with is John Eldridge. Yeah, uh, sure. Author of Wild at Heart and some other books as well. But his, one of my favorite quotes of all time is from him. He says, deep in his heart, every man longs for a battle to fight, mm-hmm. an adventure to live and a beauty to rescue. And as boys, man, that's true. hundred percent. But we lose, and as men it's true too, but we lose it. Yeah. We lose it along the way. We, we become civilized, right? So we get a job, we get the schooling, we, we start playing it safe, we start being more conservative, and then we get into a relationship and we have kids and we have to say, well, I have to be a good example to my children. And, and we lose the battle, the adventure, and the beauty. And it's no wonder why we're 
miserable. Yeah. You know, what causes, uh, what causes guys to just, I mean, and, and now I, I tend to take a pastoral approach to some of this stuff. And so I, I will, I will let, I will let some of the stuff slide that I probably shouldn't let slide. And, and some of the reasons slide because I mean, for a lot of us, we can only do what we've seen done, right? I mean, there's, there's parts of our lives that we can only do what we've seen. Like when it comes to being a parent, there's a certain ceiling on it. And then you've got to go find new information. You know, what causes guys to stall out at that spot and not go look for the new information, not implement new information? Well, I think at some point we begin to play not to lose or uh, yeah, not to lose. Mm, so we're that's not worried a- about winning anymore, right? We're like, okay, now I've got these things and I've got these responsibilities and I've got a, maybe some assets and I've got a little bit of security in my life. And so now I'm going to play this different, this different game where I'm not trying to win. I'm not aggressively going out and trying to obtain what I want and chase mm. and pursue and dominate what I'm after, but I just want to retain what I have. And so we sacrifice our ambition for a little perceived security and safety. So it's a scarcity mindset more than It's a scarcity mindset, 100%, because we don't want to lose what we have. But uh, most of what we have is perishable. You know, maybe the relationships aren't, you know, some other things that aren't, but most most of what we have is perishable. And the harder we cling to those Mm -hmm. things without going out and exploring and discovering new things, uh, the easier we lose those. But, you know, I also think there's, there's this idea that we, uh, well, that's, that's what it is. We just, we just don't want to lose what it is that, that we have. Uh, and we want to, we want to play it safe and play it mediocre and play it comfortable. Yeah. Is there a, is there a sense that where there's some, there's some fear of maybe not having a father before now we don't know how to interact with adult males where you put boys on the playground. Uh, and I can't remember who it was. Uh, maybe, maybe Jordan Peterson, maybe it was Mansfield. I was listening to a conversation. You take two boys and you put them in a room and instantly they're going to create this. They're going to create this. Hey, you want to see if we can't light the cat on fire? Hey, do you want to yeah. see if we can't, you know, take this chair and turn it into a, uh, turn it into a rocket? Yeah, right. I think we can climb up this thing and, and, and unhook the door latches and, and, and get out of here. You know, like they, like they go to this place. Do you think there's a thing in there that because we didn't have some of those early interactions with an adult male that once we be, once we become an adult male, we really don't even know how to have friendships anymore. We don't. I mean, know that might to, be it. I know? think we're also conditioned, though, too, right? Uh, like you, you think about this: when a little boy goes to school, let, let's back up. Let's take the industrial revolution. Sure. All right. Prior to the industrial revolution, what did you have? You had men teaching their sons how to be men by literally working the field, tilling the soil, using their backs working with their hands. They were in the blacksmith. They were like forging metal. Right. They were plowing with the horses. They were digging trench. They were doing these things with their dad, very engaged, very active. Then we have the industrial revolution come along and all of a sudden men are plucked from their households mm. and they're shipped away to the factories, right? Now they're going to go work at the factories. So little Timmy and little Tommy are there with mom. And then we have uh, women's rights and everything else that goes with that. And, and society says, well, for a woman to be equal, she also needs to be doing what the men do because that's what equality is, right? So you have to go do what the men do and be like men. So now she goes out into the workforce and little Timmy and little Tommy are left not only with dad out of the picture, now mom's out of the picture. So what do we do? Well, we ship them off to little mini factories that teach them how to be good little factory workers, the school system. Mm -hmm. And who are they being taught from? Women. 
color within the lines, do what you're told, sit down, shut up, and toe the line. And if you don't, then we're going to medicate you so that you will. So we've been conditioned from a very young age not to be interactive, not to get into mischief, not to be troublemakers, not to experience life the way that it was experienced. So you take a guy who's 25, 30 years old, he spent probably 16 years now of his life in the school system being indoctrinated to do what he's supposed to do. And then he gets done with that and you shove him in a cubicle for the next 40 years and you expect him to perform the way that you conditioned him to perform. Like, is it any wonder that these guys aren't like real excited about life? They aren't very creative. They can't go out and, and, and explore and, and take some risks and put themselves in challenging situations. And so, yeah, it's inevitable that they're not going to be able to uh, relate to other people. You know, I see that, I see that same pattern with, with guys who, who get into ministry and, you know, Mansfield's joke, Mansfield's joke is, Hey, do you know there's actually three genders, um, men, women, and preachers. Um, and so then he, he comes back and, and he says, you know, obviously, obviously that's just, a, that's just an old joke, but part of the problem that we see inside of our churches is these messages that are being spoke from the front of the building are so genderless in, in the way they come out. Like it's, it's, it's like, we're just speaking to, you know, these, just, just putting these, these homilies out into the out into the open space and it's kind of like a buffet just pick from it whatever it is that you want instead of something that's just directed to this group of guys like this group of people like what where is the breakdown where is the breakdown in culture you know and everybody follows it back i mean almost everyone agrees that the breakdown in culture um from obesity to crime um has everything to do with fatherlessness yet in our churches what we do is we try our best to not make any men mad, you know, don't step on any toes and to keep the women happy. So you've got that scarcity mindset, like don't upset the women because the women are the ones who run the church. Like that's a problem to begin with, you know, mm-hmm. like that's a problem. And it's not just because women are bad. It's because we need a strong figurehead inside of there. We need some strong men inside of there so that this thing can actually, you know, be pushed forward, you know? And I see these guys, and, and I've been one of those guys before. And I love when you talk about uh, your, your interview, your interview with uh, uh, Brian Rhodes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brian Rose. Yeah, Brian Rose. Yeah, Brian Rose. Your interview with Brian Rose, and 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 I've heard you say this in other places too, where you talk about because I was this guy, I was this guy that needed everything I'm talking about now. I needed somebody to come and tell me this information, but there was nobody. So now I'm, I've got this information. I'm going to create this information for other people. You know, and I've been that way. I mean, as a pastor, one of the dangerous things that happens is you forget how to play. Mm. You forget how to play. I got stuck in a really, just really just bad cycle. I mean, my marriage was falling apart. Ministry wasn't going well for me. Um, I'd become just a, a, an, an addicted, uh, overweight, just lazy, super serious spiritual specialist. And this friend of mine shows up and he was, man, this kid, he was just, I mean, he was trouble from the get go. Hmm. He shows up and he starts hanging out at my house all the time. And I could tell he was kind of adrift, like no father figure, no, just kind of adrift. And this is one of the first things he said to me. He showed up one day and he said, Hey, do you want to go ride motorcycles? Hmm. And I said, um, I don't have a motorcycle license. And he looks at me and he goes, I don't either, but I got two motorcycles. Do you want to go? <laughs> and there was something inside of me that was just screaming like, yes. Just say yes. Yeah. Just go. Let's go. 
And I remember when we got on that ride and we took off, he was messing around on this motorcycle, just riding in front of me, just doing just crazy, like crazy stuff. He swerved at a turtle. Okay. He swerved at a turtle and honked his horn as if the turtle were, was going to like jump out of the way. But it made <laughs> what is me, that turtle going to do? It yeah. made me laugh so much that when I got back, I was like, what? Like, where have I been? Like yeah. something has gone to sleep in me. And that's, I mean, I, I, I attribute so much of, you know, me crawling out of that hole to this guy showing up. He's just reckless in so many areas, you know? And like, I so badly needed somebody to come in and wake me up and say, yeah. hey, let's be fun. You, you can't forget to be fun, you know? My buddy or my brother-in-law, JB, he often asked the question, hey, where'd all the cool Christians go? Anybody know? Mm. You know, which is a pretty, in, pretty in, indicting statement. You know, hey, where'd all the cool Christians go? You know, the people who are like, they're guys. And they love Jesus. Like, where did right. those guys go? Right. Like, I mean, and it's hard. It's a, it's a cutting phrase. It's a cutting phrase. But I see that all the time. What's a good first step for guys who get in that spot, preachers who get in that spot, and they've got this thing that's on them, this pressure to be this guy. And we use these weird phrases like we need to be above reproach. Sure. We, the, we need to be above reproach. And what sure. we do is we'll hide. Brian, we will hide behind that. Well, I would like to, but I want to be above reproach. You know? yeah. And so in, in, in terms of being above reproach, I'm just thinking about just going full emasculation. I think that's maybe, maybe my approach to uh, above reproach. What's the first step we take in those, in those times? Uh, go get punched in the face. <laughs> I mean, like I, I'm saying that, I'm saying that figuratively, but I'm also saying it literally too. Oh, like, that's so good. Go to a boxing class and get punched in the face. <laughs> like go to jujitsu and have somebody try to strangle you. Yeah. Like that will wake you up. And it's so good. And that's, that's actually something I've started to do over the past year. Pretty, pretty, I've immersed myself in jujitsu and man, I come home and I'm beat up and I'm bruised up and I've got bruises on my body. I got a black eye the other day. And it's like, I've never been more proud of like being sore and and in pain than coming home from a a tough jujitsu training. My same buddy who said, Hey, you want to go motorcycle riding? Came in one day and said, I think I want to do MMA. Yeah. And this guy's like a, this guy's like a, like a brother to me, you know, I'm like, well, I can't, like, I can't let you just go do that on your own. Like I want to at least be around. So for, you know, nine months, you know, we trained and we did MMA. Mm. There were Sundays when I came in, I swole up, you know, to preach. I'm telling you what, you're 100% right. Like that, like there was something in me that, that was really, that felt so proud about, you know what, like, look at what, look at what we get to do. You know, right. this right. is a, that's a, that's a good one. That's a good one. Go get punched in the, f- listen, if you listen to this podcast and you're a preacher, listen, Ryan Mickler has made it very clear. What's the first thing you need to do? You need to go get yourself punched right in the face, <laughs> right. right in your face. Nothing will, nothing will prove to you. Uh, nothing will prove to you. A couple of things. Uh, number one, how out of shape you are. Yes, okay? this is how, true. How no scared, doubt. how scared, how much fear you have inside of your life already. Um, the number of excuses you can come up with in an instant, you know, um, and, and also how, how asleep you have been to, to what being a man is. That's, God, right. that's so good, Brian. <laughs> Go get punched Look, in and, the face. And you, I mean, if, if it's not a jujitsu class, you know, maybe it's a Spartan race or maybe it's just going into the gym or, you know, I had one thing I did, this was several years ago now, I had the founder of Spartan Races, Joe DeSent on the podcast, and I, I made the mistake of telling him, I said, 
I, I like to sign up for events before I'm completely ready. And then that way mm. it forces me to get ready. And he's like, oh, good. Well, why don't you come do our, our Spartan Agogi? And I'm like, okay, sounds good. So I said, yes, I'd go do this. So he's like, all right, great. I'll send you the registration stuff. So we get done with the podcast and I look, I get online and look at what that is. It's a 60 hour endurance event. And I try to be a man of my word. So I'm like, well, I said, yes. So I'm going to go do this thing. And I went and did it. And long story short, made the 60 hours. A lot of times I wanted to quit and throw in the towel and give up and everything else. But um, man, that was a really enlightening experience for me of like what I'm capable of mm. physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, when I went, I told myself, there's nothing that's going to make me quit. The only way that I'm going to quit is if I have some sort of medical condition and they drag me off of the field. Like that's the only way that I'm coming out of this prior to 60 hours. And that mentality is what got me through some difficult times where I was like, oh, this is hard. Like I do want to stop. I do want to quit. But I told myself I wouldn't. And putting yourself through that quite literally torture physically and mentally um, woke me up, man. It wakes you up to what is possible and how how easy we have it and how easy it is to coast in these default modes and mm. live these status quos. And we're, we're in many ways, we're encouraged and rewarded by other individuals to play it safe and conform and be mediocre. And, and people certainly, certainly don't want us to excel because then it highlights their own inadequacies. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to be very, very careful of that and inoculate yourself against conforming to a life of mediocrity. You've yeah. got to find a way to resist that. And whether it's getting punched in the face or going running Spartan race or any number of physical demanding tasks you could do, they're all going to serve you well. I see a, uh, I see an ad, uh, an ad pop up every once in a while. And I'm not exactly sure what the ad is for. Um, I, I just glanced at it and it's, it's like a productivity app or something that they're, that they're advertising and what it says at the top of it. And it pisses me off every single time I see it. It says, be the smartest guy in the room. Like that just says, be the smartest guy in the room. Mm. And it just, I mean, it drives me absolutely insane because one of the things that we've really tried to smash with the men in our church is whatever you do, don't ever, if you're the best guy in the room, you're like, you know how bad that room is? You're in the wrong room, pal. Like you got to. Get somewhere where there's somebody who's got a corner market on an area that you are lacking in, in some serious way, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, do you want to, I mean, that, I guess it really just comes down to answer, answering the question if you want to be at the pinnacle of your achievement. Mm. Like, a, like if you're listening to this right now, ask yourself, am I satisfied with, with this moment in my life, my health, my relationships, my money, my career, my other aspirations. If this is it, and if you're satisfied with that, okay, I, whatever. I can't imagine you'd be listening to this podcast if that was the case. Right. If you're not satisfied with that, then you've got to do what you said. You've got to put yourself around other people who are better than you. Yeah. And that is not comfortable. Right? It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It's painful, literally and figuratively. But man, if you can put yourself in environments where people are better than you, then you are not currently at the pinnacle of your achievement. That has yet to come. Mm. I get defensive. Now I come back and I do the right thing, but I get defensive. Like my, like a, like a friend of mine charges me on, Hey, let's talk a little bit about this. This thing that we do at church, I don't know why we do this. It doesn't seem like it's real fruitful. And so immediately I'm in this place of like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, what do you know? Like, what do you know about it? Right. He's like, Hey, 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 back. And I'm like, ah, there you go. There you, you go. go. You know, bark, barking from, you know, you got no skin right there. And he touched that nerve and here you come lashing out, you know, in that, that place of insecurity. He's like, ah, 
get yourself in shape. You know, that was one of the big conversations we had last week with our group. Like, so what's the, what's the thing that we do? What's the responsibility of the person asking the questions? What's the responsibility of the hearer or the, or the, the answer of the questions? What are the responsibility? One guy said, I think that the questioner's responsibility is to know there's always going to be a flinch. There's always mm. going to be a, a flinch and you got to stay in the game. You don't, that does not mean you dive. That means you stay right there. Let him work it out in his own head. Maybe he didn't know it. Maybe he didn't realize it. Maybe he's just got to get up the guts to say it, but there's going to be a flinch and you got to stay in the game. You love this guy. You love it. He's your brother. You got to stay in the game with him until he gets on the other side. And so you don't, you don't, don't run from the uncomfortable part. Stay in the game. And that was, that was pretty insightful. I thought that was pretty good. But I, I catch myself going to that place sometimes where I want to be defensive. It's like, I, I don't know. I got it. Right. I don't, I don't know why, you know, do you ever find yourself in that spot? Somebody criticizes you and oh, you all go, the time. you just want to lash out, you know, right, you want to come. Oh, that's, a that's tough ego. One. That's, that's ego a- speaking, right? You got to yeah. defend that ego. But what's interesting is you can't be right and defend the ego. Mm. I mean, maybe sometimes, but the majority of the time you can't have both, mm. right? You, you, you can be wrong. That's going to, that's going to damage the ego. That's going to hurt the pride a little bit, but that's okay. Like that's why we're here. That's why we're here on this earth to learn, to grow, to have experiences, and then yeah. ultimately help other people uh, on their journey of life as well. And you can't do that if you've thought to yourself, "I've, I've, I know it all, and, and and nobody can tell me anything different, and nobody can teach me anything else." Whether you're doing it deliberately and intentionally or uh, subconsciously doing it, you've got to be receptive to those ideas and hit the pause button. That's worked best for me. Is yeah. When somebody gives me feedback and I notice that I want to get defensive, I got to disengage from it. Just disengage, give myself enough margin to consider the possibility that this individual might be right. Now, they might not, but I got to come to that conclusion in the right amount of time so that I'm not by default answering with my ego and instead answering with rational, level-headed thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's tough, man. That's a tough it one. It is tough. That's people, a hard one. People step right in the middle of that. I mean, that's just, oh, that's that's a tough one. But you're you're right. I mean, and I think the idea of giving yourself some space, even a fool, even a fool is thought wise when he is silent, right? If you mm-hmm. can if you can pump the brakes a little bit and go, can a process do that? You right. Know? I mean, that's what we that's what that's what we do in, in, in marriage. I mean, in healthy marriages, you say something, hold on a second. Are you saying this and this and this? Do you mean this and this and this? Can I think about this for a minute? Right. I probably need 15 or 20 minutes to just process through this. Can you give me a little bit? Can we talk about this later to see? Like that's a good, healthy, good, healthy conversation, you know? Definitely. Uh, when you can kind of create that. Yeah, that's good insight. That's good insight. Uh, what is the, if, 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 if pastors, preachers, guys in ministry, I mean, men in general, and I know there's men out, there's men out there. Uh, who listen to this podcast, who are not preachers, who, who are not in church. And, I, and that's sure. awesome. I mean, that's awesome. But when it comes to pastors, preachers, these guys that are in these, in these places, how important is it? Because I know there's going to be this pushback of, you know, somebody's going to start quoting verses. They're going to start saying, well, you know what the Apostle Paul said, right? Uh, physical exercise is of some good. It is of some use. But this spiritual part is more important. There's going to be these guys who toss this stuff. No, don't let vanity move its way into your heart. And it sounds like vanity. This sounds like humanism and this idea of like, you know, self-help stuff. And I'm, I'm going to, there's going to be some of that, some of that pushback. But how important is it to the ministry aspect for pastors and preachers, those in ministry to elevate their levels on other platforms other than just ministry and spiritual responsibilities and spiritual duties? 
I mean, we're just, we're not one dimensional human beings, yeah. right? And if here's the interesting thing about taking experiences outside of ministry or the gospel is it's very translatable. Like Christ talked in parables, right? His experiences teach us life lessons, but guess what? If he didn't have those experiences, he couldn't teach from those experiences, right? So we go out into the world. We can be, what is it, in the world, but not of the world, right? So we go out into the world and gain our experiences, and then we take those experiences and frame them and shape them into doctrine, gospel doctrine, and we teach what other men will resonate with. So a lot of people ask me about my religious beliefs. I'm I'm Christian. I'm LDS. I don't talk about that a whole lot because I feel like I can share a lot of these Christian principles without talking about it in the context of Christianity because I can gather more men that way, right? Like I can reach more men that way. They they are learning these principles without it being a religious type experience or podcast. Now, maybe that turns into something down the road where they decide to go to church or they decide to get involved with the gospel or whatever else that's up for them to decide. But if I can create life experiences and then frame it and live them in accordance with my code or the gospel or whatever it is that it is for you, you're going to be that much more impactful. You're going to be that much more powerful. You're going to reach that many more people because you can resonate. Right? Like if you can't resonate with an individual, what are you possibly going to teach them about Christ? Like they don't believe you. They don't trust you. They don't like you, right? But if you go to a jujitsu class with them and you train with them, and they see how horrible you are at it, or you see how horrible they are at it, and you're beating each other up, and then you go to 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 church together, like there's definitely more trust there. That's what these experiences create outside of the gospels. They create levels and layers of trust. I mean, Christ went out with he was a carpenter, he went out with fishermen, like he went out and preached to the people among the people, with the people. Like he wasn't in some some chapel preaching. He walked thousands and thousands of miles to be with the people so that because he was with them, he knew them and he could impact them positively. Right. Yeah. And, and I appreciate, I appreciate you saying that you're 100% right. And, and, and we have so many hitches. We have so many hitches in our, in our occupation, our mindset, our schooling. It's just, it, and what you said, you know, we're, we're multi-dimensional, we're multidimensional. I mean, when we begin to think about, like, I just want to be this one, you know, you know, this one, this one thing. I just want to be, you know, for me, like, here was a struggle for me for a long time. I can speak from, I can speak from experience. It's really easy to get into the habit of being an answer man when Mm. so much of your job is reactive. So people come into my office. Hey, Jared, I need to talk to you about my marriage. I need to talk to you about my kids. I need to talk to you about, you know, this thing that happened to me years ago and I need to process through some of this stuff. And so what happens is I can move into that place of being the answer man. And, and, and so now I'm the answer man. And if I'm the answer man, it's hard. It's hard to pull myself back sometimes and say, okay, you know, some of that, and you know, some of this, but are there other areas of your life that you are you are absolutely blind. We were talking in our group the other day, we were talking about uh, this idea that, that we have these blinders on and that when, when another guy stands in front of us just over to the side and he's able to go, hey, what about this thing right over here beside you that you, like you can't, you got something, that like you got something right here. It's like, what? Like, 
Oh, geez. Like, oh, no man, wonder I, I put blinders that. on. You know, wonder. <laughs> right. Because, like, I, like, I didn't have any idea. And this, this, this will probably step on some toes, but, you know, since college, most of us have only gotten fatter, right? We've only, we've only become less active. Sure. Than when we were in college. You know, we used to do some things and now we don't, we don't do something. We used to read more. We used to really do things to charge our intellect and really dive into some stuff to get smarter. And now we don't. And so what we do is we begin to take our blinders and move them in closer because I don't want to see these sideline things that I know I'm missing. I just want to just focus on this one thing. Yeah, that man, that, and it's such a tough deal. I mean, guys just, I mean, especially pastors and preachers. I mean, how many of those things? I mean, I, I watch you do it. You have, the, you have the podcast, you have these things you learned about being a man, and then you take these things that you've learned and you pick them up and you carry them over into other aspects of life, you know? And when you talk to the guys on the podcast and they begin to talk about something that's completely unrelated or seemingly unrelated to what you do, but those principles are the same principles that probably what you do in your life. And within ministry, man, we have such a hard time getting new information or having the willingness to listen to new information. You know, that, man, that's a tough one. One of the things that you kind of reminded me of when you're talking is, you know, there was the, the two great commandments, right? One of the two great commandments is love thy neighbor as thyself. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what, what I think a lot of people hear is love thy neighbor. Right. So like I'm supposed to serve, I'm supposed to help. I'm supposed to guide and direct and, and, and be a beacon and a pinnacle for these people. What they don't hear is as thyself, which means that we have to love ourselves equally. Right? How do you love yourself? By doing the work that would be lovable. Mm. Like you have to earn that. Right. So a lot of people ask me, a lot of men ask me about confidence. How do I get confidence? How do I be confident? Cause they think that it's just some trait that some people like magically in- inherit or possess. And it's not right. now ego, maybe, but, but true confidence is something that's earned. These individuals, they go out and they perform and they put years of effort and toil and blood and sweat towards uh, an activity or something that they want to be good at. And then through that effort, they become confident because they're competent in those things. Right. If you want to love yourself, that second part of that great commandment, you want to love yourself, go make yourself worthy of your love. Meaning, go take care of yourself physically, right. mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all of these things. And when you're actively working towards those things, not only do you feel better about yourself, but you're more capable of serving others. Like I can't serve other people if I don't take care of myself. Where is that energy going to come from? I mean, there's a little bit of reserve just built in and I can pour a little bit of that. But once that's drained and depleted, I'm done. I'm out. Mm-hmm. I've got to replenish that. How do I do that? By going to take care of myself so that I can come back and take care of others, whether that's your congregation or your family or your employees right. or just your brothers in general. You have to make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Yeah. Uh, part of the problem is, is that we are actually doing just that. We are loving our neighbors as we love ourselves, which is part of the reason we don't have the, uh, the results that we want is that we are doing just that. We are loving people just like we love ourselves, which is mm-hmm. poorly. Right. You know? Sure. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's, that's good. When, when, when we begin to talk to, we had a, had a, had some guys from another church come in not long ago and they said, uh, Hey, can we talk to you about, about something it's kind of specific uh you guys have created you guys have created some sense of of masculinity and, and within your church that that we've even that we've heard about mm-hmm. and and we want to 
like, how do you begin to, like, how did you create that? Like, how, like, how did that happen inside of your church? And it was, it was an interesting question and it forced us to have to start trying to reverse engineer the whole thing and ask, well, how did that happen? You know, um, I mean, not, let me tell you what I wanted to say, Ryan. What I wanted to say is like, well, look, I mean, I'm the leader. I don't know if you noticed or not, but like, I'm, <laughs> exactly. Right. Obviously, like, what we're going to create here. I mean, obviously I'm dripping testosterone, yes. like, I'm, like out it's of my, like, out of your face everywhere. Like so, and that's probably, it's just by osmosis. People are, you know, and so immediately like I have to check myself. It's like, come on, yeah, you know better than that, pal. <laughs> you know? Uh, so, so what, what caused some of that? So we started asking these questions. You know, what I realized is as we started kind of nailing down some of the, some of the pieces, we haven't got it all worked out yet. Um, but, but some of the pieces that, that I've seen is, you know, our elders make hard decisions. Like the elders of our church, they make hard decisions. There's things that come through and all churches have some, they have some problems. They have, they have issues at different times, but you know, our elders are really good at just stepping up and saying, here's what we believe. This is what we always do. This is how we react to situations like this. So this is how this is going to go. And there's times that I don't like their decisions. There's times I do not like them. You know, me and my partner, the guy I've been, I've been doing ministry with forever. We grew up together. I mean, the elders come in and they say, Hey, we're going to do this with the church. And uh, we think this needs to be the direction. We're like, ah, we don't really like it. And they're like, you don't have to like it. You know, it's like, fair enough. You know, yeah. f- fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so hard, making hard decisions. You know, here's the other beautiful part of it. And I, I brag about this all the time, but their their job description for me was this. Do whatever it is you need to be healthy so that when you show up on Sunday, you can preach your guts out. Mm-hmm. Go home. Do whatever it is you need to do so that you can come back healthy and preach your guts out. Like that's your responsibility. So it's powerful, man. So do that. And so we see those two elements that work. You know, one of the other things that we've done is that we do a we will stop our sermons. We will stop our sermons at certain points and just zoom in on the men. Just, I mean, put them in the crosshairs and say, this is what has to happen. So there's this thing that we came up and I emailed you this question. Men have a higher level of responsibility inside the church and inside the gospel message than women. What do you think of this? What do you think of that idea? Uh, well, I mean, that's true, obviously, just because of the priesthood itself and the authority to act in God's name. Mm-hmm. I mean, so there's a, there's a lot of power with that, but as we know, with that power comes a lot of responsibility. So, um, you know, here's the thing about responsibility though. If you shirk that responsibility, you lose it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, and the blessings that come with it as well. Um, I, I think it's a great position to be in. I think the more responsibility, whether it's gospel related or within my family or, or community or the career, the more responsibility they've taken in my life, the better off my life is like people look at responsibility and they want to shirk it and they want to let others deal with it. They don't want to carry it. They don't want to carry the load and what an opportunity they're missing out on. You know, it's challenging. It's demanding. It's rough at times, but man, there's so much wonderful opportunities and experiences and blessings that come from that responsibility. So I, I say, bring it on. I like yeah. it. Yeah. You know, I, I like to be the guy. I like to, to know that, you know, people are relying upon me. Um, I like that weight, that added pressure for me helps me to perform better and ensures that I step up when frankly, I don't feel like stepping up. And that's a lot of the time. I don't feel like doing it, but what I feel about doing it doesn't really hold any weight. I said that I would, I have the responsibility of doing so. And so my feelings have very little to do with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Hey, uh, can we, uh, can we, can we talk about this, uh, this Dallas Fort Worth, uh, 
church shooting that happened not long ago. Um, yeah, I, mean, I don't know all the details, but I, I know as much as you do, I'm sure. But yeah, yeah. let's talk about it. Um, did you, uh, before they started jerking all the clips and pulling all the clips away, mm-hmm. um, were you able to sit down and kind of assess that? Did you go through it multiple times? Like, I mean, like I did, like I, I, I kind of, I kind of geeked out a little bit on it. Like I wanted to yeah. know what's going on in here. I mean, it was pretty amazing to see, like, I, I look at him as, uh, what's the gentleman's name? Jack, is it Jack something? Jack? Uh, I can't remember. But I, I look at these guys as, as sentinels, right? That's what they are. Sentinels, protectors. That's our role as men anyways. Protect, provide, and preside, lead, right? Yeah. That's our job as men. Right. That's a responsibility. So I look at uh, individuals like this man who was obviously, obviously well-trained mm-hmm. and knew how to use his tool very, very effectively. Yeah. Uh, doing what he needed to do to protect his people. And it was not only him, there was another half a dozen or more people who had firearms that were willing to respond, were were willing to run towards gunshots when most people were cowering and running away. Um, It's a tragic thing, you know, that, that churches are targeted. You know, these are people who want to be peaceful and want to worship and want to leave other people alone, but want to be good. Uh, That, they are targeted. That's tragic, but man, we need these people who are willing to protect and do what's necessary to keep them safe. Why are churches and schools, uh, the targets, the targets of people like this? Well, I think anytime look, bullies target the weak. I mean, that's who they're going to target. They're going to look for vulnerabilities. I spent some time in Iraq and these insurgents were looking for vulnerabilities in our defenses, in our perimeter, in the way that we responded to situations. That's what these individuals do. And frankly, that's what you would do. If you, if, mm-hmm. if you had an enemy that you needed to combat, you would look for their weaknesses. And so it's human nature to exploit weaknesses. And I think churches and schools are looked at as weak, easy targets. So if we back that up, if we back that up just a little bit further, then, then, who, then who is their enemy? Like who, who are the, in, in the minds of some of these people, who is the enemy? The culture? I don't, I don't know if there's an enemy. Hmm which is kind of the scary thing. Like if there's an enemy and you can, you can observe your enemy and you know what they're wearing and what they look like and what their tactics are and what their motives are. Okay. Well, we can address that. But if we don't know what their motives are, some of these people just hate everything. Right. And I don't know if it, I don't think it's the churchgoers that they're mad at. I don't think it's the school children that they're mad at. Uh, And again, I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. I don't don't know the, the ramifications of this, but I think these people are generally and inherently mad at the world. Maybe it's culture and the way culture is going. Maybe it's the way that they were treated. And in order to get notoriety and attention, they're going to exploit the weak and do damage where it's going to have the most catastrophic impact. And it's horrific, Mm. but that's, that is their motive. So we need to be very aware of that and defend ourselves accordingly. Yeah. I think that's a good insight. That's not what I thought about Ryan, that, that what they're thinking about is the results. They want, they want sheer catastrophe, right? They don't care about the individual. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. That's a good point. I hadn't thought, I hadn't thought through that, that that's really the goal is the goal is just chaos. The goal is just to create more chaos, more destruction. And it, it, it doesn't really, it's not a people group. It's not a, no, I mean, when we have conversations like this, I think it's really important to understand human nature and human nature in this situation. Uh, well, you know, we're all capable of it. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, we've all, we've all lied and cheated and stealed and, you know, taken advantage of other people. Like we've all, all done that. Um, I'm not saying it's okay because it's human nature. I'm saying we have to fight against that nature. Absolutely. And that's why we have the gospel. Yeah. 
but it's also important to know because if I put myself in somebody's shoes who's trying to do some of these things, then I would know that my job is to inflict maximum damage. If I understand that, then I'm setting myself up to protect and shore up the vulnerabilities and weaknesses that we have, like protecting our children and people who are going to church of all things. It's sad. People will say, oh, it's sad that we need to do this. Well, yes, I agree. But like we know this. So we probably shouldn't operate from a perspective of what should be and instead operate from the perspective of what is. Mm -hmm. And in the meantime, we can be working on what should be. But we also have to shore ourselves up and protect ourselves. And maybe, maybe even the better question, uh, Ryan. Now that now that you've you've kind of contributed to that that thought process for me, maybe the better question is um, not so much who's the enemy, um, what is it that they're tr- really trying to get to. Maybe the question that we need to be asking ourselves inside of churches, inside of schools, inside of these these type of organizations is, or maybe realizing, not question, but maybe the thing we need to realize is that maybe we're saying something important. Maybe we're doing something important in these in these places. Maybe there's something that's really kind of happening in these places. That this message that we've been given, whether it's the gospel or whether it's that lives that that, that people matter and that life is important, that education is important. Maybe the thing we need to kind of understand is like this is a big deal. So now let's start acting like it's a big deal and start protecting those things. This is one of the deals I really want to do. I really want to do this next school year is I want to get all the men from our church. I want to line them up on the first day of school and just do the high five thing with all the guys that come through. Like, I just want them to line up, you know, give the boys a thing, all the guys that come through, give them a thing, give them a high five, you know, just a, a small piece of literature that has nothing to do with church, has nothing to do with anything else, but just letting the guys know, like, it, like, like there's a standard, like we see you, we appreciate you, like you're important, you got a plan, you know, like you can be better than this. That's something I really want to do. Maybe that's part of, maybe that's part of our process on how we can, how we can do a better job of protecting some of these places and realize like, this is important. I mean, that's, this is an important thing that we do, whether it's church, school, business, we're saying something important. I mean, what's your, your podcast, you're going to catch some, you're going to catch some shade. You're going to yeah, catch some sure. shade and have caught plenty, I'm sure, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's just the nature of it. That's, that's the pay, you know, the payment, like you got to be willing to pay that price in order to share something valuable. And I think mm-hmm. everybody wants to belong too. So the more that you can include individuals uh, in things like you're talking about where they feel like they belong to something, the more that they are accountable, the more they're willing to hold other people who belong to that thing are accountable to. Uh, and you can start to have this standard of operation and men will toe that line because they want to belong to that. So they'll, they'll follow the rules because that's what's expected. This is why fraternities work. And this is why mm-hmm. hazing in some situations, look, that's some of that stuff's taken to the extreme. Sure, sure. Some of it isn't. Yeah. Some of it's just initiation. Yeah. And, and initiation is a good thing. As long as it's not dangerous to people, mm-hmm. it's, it's a good thing because it means that this individual is going through this initiation process because they want to be part of what we're doing. Right. Now that can be looked at from gang activity, for example, which we would generally consider destructive right. or the gospel or some other organization, which we would generally consider constructive, positive. But yeah, men want to belong. They want to be part of the tribe. That's that's hardwired into our DNA. And if we can create the tribe, which is why I called my organization Order of Man, Order, Brotherhood, Fraternity, Society, because we belong to this thing and we've collectively agreed that this is how we're going to behave and perform. If you aren't interested in behaving and performing that way, you aren't part of the Order of Man. Right. And people say, well, what about these? What about them? Go create your own thing. 
You can go find your own thing, create your own thing that has a different set of, of values or perspectives, and I wish you all the luck in the world. These are ours. We planted our flag. You want to be part of this organization? Here's how we behave. Here's how we act. Here's how we interact. And here's what we do. And if you can do those things, we welcome you with open arms. If not, this is not the place. So good, Ryan Mickler. So good. I appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you taking the time to. You bet, man. Great this, conversation today. This. Oh man, I'm telling you, like this is so good. Like, and here's something that you do really, really well. You do you do a few things really well. Most of the time, when I'm interviewing preachers, I listen to a load of their stuff. I mean, just sermon after sermon, video after video. That way, I can at the end of the conversation, I can tell them, like, here's a thing sure. that you do really, really well. Uh, with this thing, it's it's a little bit different now. With I mean, some of these guys that I'm getting to visit with. You know, I don't, I don't have podcasts on them. I don't have sermons. Yeah, I don't have video yeah. links on them, but, but I do with you. I do with you. And so let me tell you a couple of things that I absolutely love, uh, that you do that, that, that I think is just so powerful. Uh, one, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate the fact that you're able to take the labels off of your faith and you're able to take, um, some of these, some of these important uh, these important titles or, or titles that we think are important and, and references and scriptural references and these kind of things and pull all the labels off of them and still serve them with everything else that you're doing. Like that's an excellent thing you do. You know, even from, I mean, two or three episodes in to listening to you, like, nope, there's not, he, there's a, there's a faith element somewhere inside of this guy because you don't like you, you don't come by the information that you have and that you are, you're disseminating to all these people. You don't come by that information on your own. Like this is like, there's something else that's there. There's just, there's a faith element. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that so much that you, you do that and you do it tactfully too. Um, a lot of guys, a lot of guys jump into that and then they want to start, they want to start parsing it out and start, okay, now who's right? This is what mm. I believe. This is where you're, it's like, come on, like fellas, like you're about to muddy the water on a really good thing right now. Right. You know? And you've, you've, you've been able to uh, evade that, uh, that temptation and, and get away from that. So I appreciate that. That's Thank a, you. That's a solid, that's a solid, solid. And I know that takes work to do, you know, that takes a lot of work to do. And so I, I appreciate that. Another thing that you do really well is you do a good job of encouraging men on all the levels that they are. There's guys out there who are doing things that are similar to what you do, but, but they're cutthroat. Like this is the level, like this is the level everybody's got to get there. And so mm-hmm. now no fat kid in the world can ever be in their camp. There can never mm-hmm. be in that camp whatsoever because there's no, there's uh, no direction from ground zero to level 100. There's no, there's, it's only from 90 to hundred. Like you better start at a 90 because we're going to a hundred. You right. do such a good job of bringing that on down. Third thing uh, that I think I got to say on that one, Jared, if you don't mind, is like, sure. I feel like maybe the reason, I, and I feel like I am good at that, but maybe the reason is, is not so intentional. It's just because I, I like, I am the fat kid. I am the awkward guy. Like I, I am the guy that I'm talking with. Mm-hmm. Like when, when people ask, who do you want to reach? It's like me. I want to reach me. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. that's why, like, I probably resonate that way. Yeah. Well, the fact that the fact that you can take that that weakness or that or that that thing that has tripped you up in life, the lazy, the overweight, the you know, reactive instead of sure. proactive or assertive. The fact sure. that you can take you know pains or sins, if you will, or or trouble spots and drag them drag them with you. Like to me, that's a sign of a strong man. I mean, Sal Frasilla said the same thing when I talked to him. I said, what would attract you to church, Sal? I, and, and, and I asked him, I said, do you go to church regularly? If you don't mind me asking, do you go? He said, no, I don't. And uh, we started talking. I said, what would attract you 
mm-hmm. to a church? Like what would, what would be a thing that would really attract you in a pastor, in a group, in a, and he said, I want to know that there's a guy there who's got some information about how to be better, but he's talking about it through his own struggles. Like that would be mm-hmm. important. Like that would yes. be an important thing to me. And, and I think that's kind of what you're saying. It is, is where you are. Like you are reaching out to the guy who is in the same spot as you. And you, you've done that really well. Here's the third Thank thing you. that I, I love what you've done is that you've incorporated a way to give this away. Mm. Like it's, it's not an, like you haven't set yourself as the cornerstone guy as the only one with the information. What sure. you've done is you've empowered other people. And you said, now hand this to every little boy that you meet, every little boy you meet, hand this to him. And I mean, I think that is such a powerful, powerful thing. I mean, and, and really strikes at the, at the heart of the gospel message. I mean, with what you're doing, I mean, it was Jesus who said, suffer the little children, let them come unto me, you know, for such is the kingdom of heaven. So mm-hmm. what's the kingdom of heaven look like? Let me tell you what it looks like, Ryan. It looks like tree houses and it looks mm-hmm. like slingshots. It looks like boys getting in a headlock and they're laughing it up and they're, and they're skinny dipping and they're jumping in the creek, <laughs> making mud pies and they're throwing them at one another. And it's an absolute ball. What's it look like? It looks like this. And I think that's one of the things that you've done that's just been so cool is incorporating that and reaching out to these young boys because, man, they need figures. They need father figures. They need, but more than that, they need hope that they can actually be better than they are. Like, there's, can I be better than the men that I've known? And what you've done is you've been able to say, not only can you be better than the men you've known, you can be better. And you can be better than me and you can be better than everyone. Like you just keep working. So I appreciate you so much and everything that you've been doing. Thank you, man. That means a lot to me. Yeah. Yeah. That means a lot to me. So this has been a powerful conversation. Uh, Definitely among my favorite, different, interesting, unique. It's been a very, very powerful conversation. I appreciate the work you're doing. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate you being on the homeless podcast. And I know that there's going to be a load of guys back home. Uh, I had a guy text me yesterday, you know, how was the Mickler conversation? I says, not today, it's tomorrow. And he's oh, like, oh, snap. I mean, all amped up. <laughs> my, buddy, my buddy who came in and sat in for 15 or 20 minutes on his yeah. lunch break. Yeah. Uh, guys, are, guys are really Man, that's excited. still such a weird thing to me. It's like a foreign thing. that people, You know, I, I had somebody come up to me in the airport the other day. I was traveling and they, and they said, hey, are you Ryan? I said, yeah. And we talked for a minute. And, I'm, and he said, he listened to my podcast. He read my book. And I'm like, why? Like, that was the thought that went through my I'm like, Why? And, you know, I, I appreciate uh, that I've been able to share some words that have helped him and other yeah. people, but it's still a very, very foreign thing that people listen to my words. And there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it because people hold me to my word too. Yeah. You know, people will ask me about things like I said I was going to try this one thing and they'll ask me about it. I'm like, man, I better, I better do that thing because there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of guys who are listening and are going to hold me to it. Ask me about that thing. So that level of accountability uh, means a lot to me. It pushes yeah. me further than I'd, I'd go without it. That's for sure. You know, that's one of the things I say, you know, who I think God calls to the ministry. Uh, this is, this is, I think God calls to ministry people who need a lot of supervision. That's why I, <laughs> I, I believe that's you know? true. I mean, there's yeah. guys that, you know what I need? I need about 200, 300 people kind of circling and around me going, Hey, 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 you minding your P's and Q's? Like I'm on it. Right. I'm on it. I'm on it. Right. I'm doing it. I'm doing the thing I need to do. So yeah, this is uh this has been, this has been really cool. Hey, tell me this. I mean, this is a little, little off subject. I know we're wrapping up. Uh, do you remember, do you remember when you were looking at, at analytics for the podcast? Do you remember a number that like when it hit that number, like you freaked out of your mind, you're like, holy crap. Like there's this many people who've listened to this or this many people who've downloaded, like one of the early numbers that just like blew you, like you couldn't believe that people were actually tuning into this. Do you remember any yeah. of that? Yeah. I, 
So here's a couple of things I remember. So I actually had another podcast before the Order Man podcast. And it was called Wealth Anatomy. It was focused on helping because my background is financial planning. Right. So it was focused on helping doctors, dentists, chiropractors, veterinarians with their financial decisions. And I did the podcast as an experiment to see, you know, like, would this work? Would this help me get new clients? Yeah. What did I, I realized I love the medium of podcasting, but I, I just didn't want to continue to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. But when I had that podcast going, I mean, I just wasn't getting very many downloads. I, I didn't know. I didn't have anything to compare it to. But I remember the first day that I released the first episode of the Order of Man podcast. And if I remember correctly, I want to say we had like 72 downloads that day. And I was blown away. I was like, holy cow, 72 people listened to what we're doing? Because that was significantly more than I ever did with that previous podcast. On the first day, um, a million was a big number for me. You know, like when we hit a million total downloads, I just couldn't fathom. It it still boggles my mind, you know, and now it's 20 million plus it's over a million a month. Like it's absolutely phenomenal and crazy. It's just a wild ride, but, but the numbers are all relative, you know, the 72 was big for me. A million total downloads was big for me. And then when we hit a million monthly downloads, that was big for me too. Yeah. 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 It was uh, just a couple months. I think it was October, November. Um, I got a, I don't remember. I looked at, I looked at the, the analytics on it and it popped up and it was like, you've know, been doing this for you know, nine months, mm-hmm. 10,000 downloads. I was yeah. just like 10,000. Freaking thousand downloads! Crazy man, it's crazy. It's been, somebody's activated the RS at ten thousand. Like this. it was, I mean, just cooking my brain. And it was amazing because then I had the the next one of the next guests I had on um, was uh, was a was a guy named Rob Bell. Maybe you're familiar with the name Rob Bell. Mm, um, I don't know if I know. Anyway, interesting, interesting, interesting guy. Um, and back to back, I had a guy named Mark Christian, who's a guy at a, at a, at a, in a small town in Orinoco, Missouri. Um, and then I had this Rob Bell, who's a national, like he's a national, like a global touring, lecturing, spiritual guy. Like he, okay. you, you type in, you type in Rob Bell on YouTube and like, it's, just, it, it's going to go bananas. It's going to go. Okay. All it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. And like before the end of the year, like it just, it was like. 10,000 and I'm losing my mind. Like I put it on Instagram, like 10,000 downloads. Can you freaking believe this? It was like two weeks later, three weeks later, 15,000. I'm like, yeah, man. Like that platform is weird like that, isn't it? Yeah. Like listener base, like you catch something and then you catch another listener base and it's just like it amplifies. I mean, it's all exponential and you'll see that you'll see your growth curve. It'll just continue to go up and up and up and up and it's pretty amazing. And then you leverage you know, other people's audiences and, yeah. and you get on other shows and it's just, it's phenomenal, man. It's, it's just yeah. been such an amazing ride. It's so cool. It's so cool because here's the, here's the thing that you've really kept, you've really kept in check. A lot of guys would be cruising around in a Lambo right now if they were you. Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe. What, I don't know. Yeah. Like, like, you, like I catch that and I catch where guys, they got a little bit of content. They got a little bit of content and, and the very next thing they get is a Lambo. Like that's yeah. just, like a little content. Now Lambo. Like why? Because, because like, look, I, I want you to know my content's legit because like I got right, a Lambo. Right. Know, what you've done has been really, really cool because you've been able to keep that just that really grassroots feel to a lot of it. And it hasn't just gone, 
you know, full commercial and sterile, you know? Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. You know, I don't look at success like that though, either, you know, like the fast car is cool. Like, I mean, I don't know that I'd own a Lambo, but driving around and want to be fun for a little while. Yeah, Yeah, sure. I look at success as just, well, frankly, my ability to be present with my family. That's yes. that to me is success. Yeah. So there's a lot of opportunities that I turned down in the business and I, I, I throttle the business back quite a bit actually. Uh, and I say no to a lot of things because I just, I want to be home. You know, my, my studio's at home. Uh, my kids are downstairs. My wife's homeschooling them. Uh, we're probably going to, my wife's going on vacation just herself and, and a girlfriend this weekend. Me and my kids are going to do some snowboarding and some ice fishing and, like I'm taking a couple of days off and that to me is success. And so, yeah, the business gets throttled back, but that's the, that's the trade-off. It's a valuable trade-off for me. Yeah. That's so good, man. I appreciate you a bunch. Appreciate this conversation. Thanks, a bunch too. So appreciate you, brother. I'll let you get going, man. Let you get back to it. This is, right. uh, Thanks, this man. has been excellent. Ryan Mickler. Thank you for joining me on the homeless podcast, buddy. I'll, uh, I'll get with you soon. Thank you. See you, buddy.